Today I'm delighted to welcome Arla Curran to the show. Arla is currently working for UCD's Ad Astra Elite Academy as a strength and conditioning coach. She is also the lead athletic performance coach for the Irish women's rugby team, alongside working with Irish hockey, as well as the small matter of doing a PhD in her spare time. Arla talks about tailoring training to the needs of the team. She argues the long-term goal for coaches has to be player retention and emphasizes the importance of the coach-athlete relationship. Arla's love of coaching shines throughout the show and it's no surprise how far she's come in such a short period of time. Loads of takeaways for all coaches of all levels today. I hope you enjoy. Okay, this week it gives me great pleasure to welcome Arla Curran to the show. Arla, it's great to have you on. You're currently SNC coach with UCD Elite Academy, also the athletic performance coach with the Irish women's rugby team and the Irish under-21 female hockey team. And as well as that, you still have time to be undertaking a PhD around talent development in females. So brilliant to have you on. I'm fascinated by what you're studying in terms of the PhD. Could we maybe jump in there and talk about what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Stephen. And I, I don't know if, if, if I'd agree that I have the time to do it all, but I'm trying to get it done anyway. Um, yeah, with the PhD, so I'm, I'm mainly looking at talent development in female athletes and with collecting the data around the hockey girls that um, I'm working with at the moment and then also through the the entire pathway of the Irish hockey system so from under 16 right the way through to senior level um, and so we're kind of looking at the whole talent development environment so the environment that's set up along the pathway and also across the pathway so from under 16s to seniors when they're involved in international and then also what that environment might look like at a club and school how that all links up um, you know how the coaches go about trying to develop the players and help them to prepare and move on to the next stage but then how that might um, interlink with what they do at school and club um, so that's kind of the environment part of it and then I'm looking a little bit on um, the psychological side too so the mental skills that you know players might need um, to make it to the top because um, there's a lot of research out there on that area so I'm trying to uh, look into that a little bit with them as well you know are we developing that in the, in those girls and along the pathway and, and if if we are how is that happening if not then how can we improve it um, and then another piece is around the physical aspect so obviously I'm predominantly SNC background so um, I'm trying to look at the physical side around game demands so game demands from a player before they go into that senior international setup so are we physically preparing them um right at that stage and then also you know how does that compare and contrast across the school club and international scene so what are the gaps you know is there a massive difference between what they do in those different environments um and how can we best prepare them for what's to come if they make it up to the, the senior international so it's it's really all about that whole development pathway space and trying to get players to develop well um develop wholly so not just on the pitch and then get them up to senior international in the hope that we get more silver medalists or maybe even gold medalists someday. Wow. Okay. There's an awful lot in that, Arla. So we're going to try and break down <laughs> some of those things. So um, firstly, you're very much focused on the females. So are you saying that there, there would be a difference in the males and females right off the bat in that, in that pathway that you talk about? Yeah. So this, like this area that I'm looking at, it's not new. It's not something that's not already been researched or, you know, you'll find lots of, lots of it in in the research and in the literature but the reason I suppose why I'm looking at it is that there's not much research out there in it in the female side of things and last year um one of the one of the papers that well one of the papers I did one paper with the the first paper as part of my PhD was on 
this area and how there isn't that much um, literature out there in females in this area. So there's there's so much out there, but because it's predominantly done in males, who's to say that it's going to be the exact same and that it that it works for females as well? So I suppose the reason that I'm doing the research is just to see what that's like in a female environment and how that compares to the the already established you know literature that's out there. I don't know if it, if it's different. I'm not really at that stage yet. Um, I, in my personal opinion, I would say that it is. Um, just from having worked with females and males and knowing how they develop slightly differently. Um, but again, there's not much literature out there to back up yet what I'm saying in that they probably are a bit different and that we need to do it um, differently. Now, I'm not trying to compare females and males in my research. It's just that's the reason I've, I've gone down that road with females. Yeah, no, and as I said, it's it's fascinating. And I think it, it's going to be really, really important work, particularly in the context of, of uh, player development. So I want to start with the physical part of it. Obviously, as you said, your your background is mainly in S&C. So what are, let's say, so we know the physical demands uh, for those pathways, let's say, and you're saying there's plenty of research done on, on the male side. Uh, what's out there on the female side and what are those demands? Let's say you, you mentioned game demands. What what are we looking at there for, for your average player coming through that pathway? Yeah, so I'm really looking at it in the hockey sense of things. And to be honest, there isn't that much research out there in it. So there's there's plenty of, of literature in game demands of a sport um, and how that if you want to develop players physically, say, say if we're looking at their fitness levels and, and their conditioning, if we want to develop them in the best way that we can, you need to know what the demands of the game is. And then when you're when you're going through your training or going through your conditioning and fitness training, it's trying to replicate those demands and, and put them in situations or put them into to drills um, where they're going to be under the same kind of fatigue pressure that they would be in games. And so there's, there's plenty of literature out there in, in loads of sports. Um, and a lot of it is in, you know, senior level sports. So I guess there isn't really a lot done at, at development level. And so what I'm trying to do is, is I've collected plenty of GPS data around training and games, and it's trying to see, well, are we replicating those demands in training and how, how do they compare to maybe what the girls have to do in games? So I'd, I've done some research in it before. So in my master's, I did some research in uh, sevens rugby and it was the same concept. You know, we had GPS around the game demands so of what they're actually experiencing in the game and then what they're experiencing in training and are we matching it? Are we meeting it? So I suppose when you look at that development side around the physicality or, or, or even just the physical development, it's what we're trying to do is just are we meeting those game demands that the girls experience at the international level? If I'm looking at that international development pathway. And then how does that break down and look across then the schools and the clubs? And the same, the same stuff happens at senior level. The same stuff happens across all sports, really. Okay, and, and those game demands, let's say, that you talk about at, at the senior level, are you trying to replicate that at, at the developmental stages before that? Or are, are you scaling it back based on the, the, the games that they'll be playing at that particular time in their development? Yeah, so it's, I mean, we've looked at the data that we've collected at the under-21 level, um, and it's not at the same intensity that they play at the senior level. And that's, you know, you're going to expect that anyway. So we're not necessarily trying to hit the exact same demands the senior level girls um, would play at. Because um, we know that our girls developmentally aren't really ready for that yet. But what we try to do is get them to train, obviously, as, as high as they can. Um, and when we're training, we're trying to meet the game demands that we know that they're going to experience at the under 21 level. And we're constantly trying to push 
the under 21 level, you know, in their training and in their games, push them to try and reach those senior standards, even though we know they're probably not going to get there. But we want to have that target for them that when they step up to senior, if they get that chance to do that um, at the international level, that because it's such a higher intensity and they need to be physically ready for that, that we're trying to push them to constantly, you know, higher the ceiling at the under 21 level. So in a sense, yes, we, when we're, when we're looking at the data and we're trying to develop the girls, we know that they're not going to be at that level at the under 21s, but what we're trying to do is to develop them as best they can at that level. So when they do get to under 21 or get to senior, it will still be a step up, of course, but trying to, you know, get them as in the best shape possible and to experience high intensity as close as possible as they might experience if they step up to senior level and the same with the under 16s and the under 18s coming through the pathway at each stage they're trying to do the same thing to get them ready for that next next stage yeah i think that's a really important message there arla because like uh, i'm guilty of this myself you might look at something at at the elite level or or at adult senior level and try and maybe replicate it within a, a, a squad or, or a, even a club team that you're working with but from what you just said there like we have to spe- they're they're not they're not going to be at that level in terms of um demands are going to be very different so how as a coach do i figure out what the demand the game demands are for the level that i'm playing with um it, like let's say i'm not just a, a an average coach that's working with a maybe an under 15 or under 16 team uh, in any sport um but uh, how do i figure out those demands myself yeah so i think like from say if you're talking about a club perspective like even within a ga club or whatever if there was a club under 15 or under 16's coach and whether I move with that team or, or those players are going to move on to another coach when they move up to under 17s or under 18s. I think you do need to try and understand, well, long-term, you know, these players, we want them to stay in the game long-term and for them to be able to do that, they need to be able to, you know, cope with the training or, or cope with the games and be confident in those games and be able to, to play in those games um, when they move on to the next level. And I think sometimes when, when players maybe don't get that confidence or aren't able to keep up with the game, because maybe they don't have the training put in that that's when we can get a lot of dropout and whatnot. So I think at a club level, if I'm an under 15s or under 16s coach, open yourself up to talk to the coaches at the next level up, you know, go and go and watch those games or, or attend a couple of sessions and see, well, what's the intensity that they, that they train at. And that will give you an idea to understand, well, my girls or boys that I'm coaching when they move on up to under 17s or under 18s, if I'm with 15s and 16s, then I know what I need to be getting them ready for. And then you can target your training session then around, okay, they're probably not ready for that yet, but I'm going to try and push those standards, push that intensity that little bit higher. So it's not a shock to the system when they get up to 17s and 18s or or whatever age group that you are working with. So what you're basically saying is trying to have like a a stepping stone approach that it's not just a huge cliff that they face when they finish, let's say that developmental pathway and then come to a senior setup. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot of times in clubs and especially in, in bigger clubs, because there's so much happening, and there's so many teams and so many, you know, different coaches that are there. Oftentimes you start working with a team and you become really condensed, I suppose, in, in what you're doing around that team. Um, and you forget that there's this whole pathway around you. Like there's so many other coaches working with so many other teams above and below you. And it's trying to, I think, in clubs um, and with your teams is opening it up so that it's fluid and you get to see, you know, help out maybe teams below you and then uh, getting some advice um, and working with coaches that are with teams above you to try and understand, well, 
where are we fitting into all this and how are we going to be able to push them up a level? Okay, so what you're t- saying is that, oh, yeah, we do we know we need to know the demands, etc. And and by the best way, without having all the fancy gear or equipment or a sports science degree, if we talk to the people below us, above us, around us, that that sort of community of practice can allow us to adapt our training to the needs and and to help the players adapt to what's coming up next. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I think, I mean, in the research or in what I'm trying to do with with my PhD is understand this whole idea of talent development, not just for one particular team, but as, as a whole. And one of the big things that comes out is, is coaches love information sharing. They want to know what's going on. And that's, again, how they're going to learn um, new knowledge and how they can put that into practice. Um, so developing and opening up a community of practice, I think, is one of the best ways to go about it. Have coaches of ages above you sharing information. What gold nuggets have they picked up on? And being able to have, you know, conversations where maybe you can reflect on what, what you're doing with your age group and then, okay, how am I going to get them ready for that next next age group or that next coach and how they're going to coach them? It's one of the big things in talent development, essentially, if you're trying to, you know, get players through a pathway. And it doesn't have to be at an elite level. If it's just trying to keep players involved and enjoying a game, it's trying to understand, well, what do they need to get through this age group? And how am I going to have them ready by the end to be able to play at the next age group? Yeah, and everything you just said makes absolutely perfect sense. And, and you, you explain it really, really well. Have you seen either uh, in your own experience or in the research, is the resistance to that? Uh, do people uh, think that they know best? Do people try to go too many steps too soon? Or they just don't want to collaborate maybe with coaches around them? Any 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 resistance or challenges you've seen in that area? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I don't like the, uh, the research that I'm currently doing right now, there's even bits coming out in that where coaches want to be open. They want to have information shared with them, but there's potential where the experience is that they've been they're faced with coaches that they think well if if i share information with them they're gonna think well you know who who's this guy and why are they trying to tell me what to do so it's almost like the culture that's out there is that we're not in ireland at a stage where we would readily share that information and i don't mean that in a broad term across every sport and every coaching system i remember there was a couple of clubs that i've worked in where as a coach developer we set up a couple of community of practices and it took a while to get those off the ground. Initially, there is that resistance where it's, well, who's your man and what's, what's he going to tell me? Um, or I'm, I know what I'm doing with my team and there's, there is coaches out there that are going to be resisted to it. So um, in a couple of the clubs that I worked with, they're big, big enough clubs. And if we had 50, 60 coaches, I maybe got 10 coaches into a community practice. So I think that there is that little bit of uh, resistance to it, of, of sharing what, we do because they're my team and and I don't want to you know give away too many of my secrets or there is the idea that well I know what I'm doing and I don't need to hear what you have to tell me you know I haven't read too much research into it um, as such yet but I know in the research that I'm doing I've had a few comments from coaches where I've done interviews with them and that's the feeling that I'm getting off them yeah, I, I really like that, that that idea of community of practice, but I, I do think that sometimes it's very, very difficult to get to, to, to get off the ground. Um, uh, you talked about 
in the PhD that you're not just focusing on the physical, that you're also looking at uh, potentially looking at the psychological skills that are being developed throughout. Could you touch on that maybe and just explain a little bit more because it's something you said that piqued my interest. Yeah, um, like I'm, I'm not a psychologist by any matter of means, but there's there's plenty of research out there that you know gives gives the idea that if if a player is going to make it to the very top level of their sport, generally there's these psychological traits that will help them to get there. So there's there's some research out there on champions, super champions, and almost, and and this research was done by um, Anya McMahon and Dave Collins, and they looked at athletes where they've got plenty of, of medals on the world stage. There's athletes that have, you know, they've got a few medals or maybe they've, they've been great, but they're probably not the very best. And then there's athletes that could have been there. And probably when they were younger, they were probably deemed as athletes that would have made it, but just didn't. And a lot of the research points to this idea of, of mental traits that they have that helps them to stick with it and, and grind it out, I suppose, and, and having that grit to get to the top. And a lot of them are, you know, innate traits that people have anyway. And then the, a lot of them are, are probably psychological skills that we can develop in players. Um, and so I'm trying to, with the research, look to see, are we currently developing them? And if not, is there ways that we can? And, and they're like the psychological skills could be things around, you know, obviously having grit is one. So being resilient, uh, being able to deal with failure, uh, maybe coping with not getting selected or, or going through periods of your development or your performance where maybe you're not playing as well and being able to cope with that dealing with negative situations being able to be positive turn it into positives having self-belief being able to be self-reflective being able to set performance goals that are achievable and understand I suppose how you can progress in your development and not seeing everything as I'm not progressing and so kind of having those those psychological traits I suppose and like coaches can try and develop them by setting up environments where they put players um, into situations where they're maybe forced to deal with situations that they have to use these skills um, and then reflecting on them afterwards can help them to understand maybe how they've used skills and then or even being able to transfer certain skills into sporting situations so it doesn't necessarily all have to be done on the pitch um, like I said I'm not I'm not a sports psychologist so I don't know the 100 ins and outs of it but that's the area that we're trying to uh, work in yeah no I and mean, again it's, it's really really interesting um and uh, like i just think that that's a really simple practical example that you, you you just gave there that you could put them in a situation through the coaching that allows for uh them to have to problem solve or to deal with a bit of uh, adversity and then reflect about it afterwards and how they dealt with it and how they could go forward again and that's something that anybody listening can take and, and potentially use in their own coaching yeah yeah um so obviously early your background is mainly strength and conditioning okay um but you very much have a coaching approach to it so just for people listening how do you think that the coaching fits into your snc because some people would think oh well strength and conditioning is, is maybe it's very black and white you you do this amount of meters run you lift this amount of weight you do whatever and it might be very specific but where does the coaching of it come in for you yeah, like I suppose I I probably started out in coaching before I started out in strength conditioning. So I'm kind of lucky in that sense in that I learned a lot of my traits as a coach first and then I got into strength conditioning. So when I was in university, um, I did sports science. And as part of that degree, I got a chance to do my work placement as a coach. So I went to Asia and coached Gaelic football in a few countries, came back. I spent a couple of years then after college where I 
was working in a GA as a so I guess I kind of developed a lot of my traits as a coach first which really helped me but and I probably had a similar opinion as what you just said where you know an SSC coach I probably didn't really view that as a coach at the time until I started to get experience in the area and I guess one of the things that kind of sits with me and is that the SNC coach tends to spend a lot more time with players than what the actual uh, sporting coach does just because you have a lot more sessions with them sometimes in the week you're at all their pitch sessions as well as maybe their fitness sessions and their their gym sessions so you just have a lot more contact time with them and a lot of times the SNC coach without being tasked to do it ends up almost being a part of developing the environment and I know if, when I was over um, in New Zealand, kind of learning my trade, I suppose that was one thing I picked up from the SNC coaches over there was that they tried to develop a, a good culture and a good environment within the gym setting and within the conditioning settings and that, that the lads then were able to bring to the pitch. And that's something that I've tried to do in my current role, either with the, the under 21 hockey girls and with the rugby girls is trying to create some kind of environment and culture with the girls, because I know that I see them so much more and, and I probably know them well um, that they can hopefully try and replicate that when they're on the pitch you know with the coaches or trying to you know practice the rugby skills or the hockey skills or, or whatever it is yeah so I, think, and I don't know if I answered your question there but no you didn't I have loads more questions now um so yeah that's a really good point the that the fact that an SNC coach potentially has an awful lot more contact time than uh, maybe the other coaches particularly in the one-on-one situation so you, do you think that that coach athlete relationship you have um, opportunity or, or there's potential to have a stronger relationship or a maybe, uh, I don't, maybe strong is the wrong word, but maybe that it's a different relationship to maybe the, the tactical coach or the, the, the coach who's working on the skills out on the pitch in, in more of a team or a group environment. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably just a different relationship because at the end of the day, you know, they know that as an SNC coach, I'm not making the selection calls whether that's with the younger under 21 girls or whether it's with the senior international girls I'm, I am there like the other coaches to help them to develop and progress and push an area of their um, performance I suppose but without actually being there to critique them on the pitch I guess and without making those selection calls so it is a different relationship not that it's any stronger or not but that extra contact time that you get with them does make you um, get to know them that bit better um, and I suppose you build up a lot of trust with the girls in that sense. And I think just because I've had a lot of experience in coaching as well, and, and I think when I was coaching football and coaching hurling and camogie, a lot of my philosophy stemmed around understanding the player and knowing the player. Um, and it hasn't changed now that I work in s as well. So yes, I'm trying to make them stronger. I'm trying to make them fitter, trying to make them faster. But at the end of the day, it's, it's understanding what makes that individual tick as well. I've been able to design a program around, okay, well, I know that they love being fast. And so I'm trying to bring that into the program as much as I can, because that's what they'll react to. Then obviously being there for, you know, whenever they've any other issues going on, you, when you get that relationship with them, it's quite, you can be quite approachable for them as well and help them get through, um, different things through the environment too yeah no it's it's really interesting and it's a, a viewpoint that i've maybe never thought about myself before so in in terms of the whole strength and conditioning or sports science side of it you've vast amount of experience now across a variety of sports 
how do you feel that, that it fits in? Are, is strength and conditioning in one silo and maybe analysis in another and tactical in another? Or are people working alongside each other, working twor- in a cohesive manner? Or how do you feel that that, that is? Yeah, definitely. I think in, in my experiences anyway, I, there probably is other teams where it's probably not as joined up, but in, in the teams that I've been involved with anyway, um, it's been very much joined up thinking. So how can, you know, myself as the S&C coach, how can I help improve players in a way that the coaches want them to be improved? So like currently, for example, if, if the, the forwards coach in the rugby team that I'm working with, if they want players to be able to, you know, lift in, in a certain area or have, for example, say forwards need to have their strong shoulders, especially with line out lifts and whatnot. So I'll, I'll work with the coaches on that around the areas that they want them to be developed in. So we'll have a joint up, you know, approach in that sense. Um, same idea with the hockey. I know that um, our hockey coach is big on, on fitness and wanting the girls to be fit. And it's a huge part of, of the game. And so because of that, then I'll gear a lot of my, my strength conditioning programs towards the conditioning end and making sure that those girls do push their fitness levels as, as much as they can. So I think sometimes, yes, it can sit on its own and it, it just depends on the attitude of the person running the program. Um, and how much they've bought into it and how much they collectively bring the different, I don't know, the different kind of um, roles together, really, whether that is analysis or whether it's sports science or, or strength conditioning. Yeah, and do you find that that's different in, in, in different countries? So you worked in Asia, you worked with New Zealand rugby for a time as well. Do you think that that's different in Ireland to other countries? Um, not really. I think every team is going to be different in how they set it up, regardless of, of what country you're in. I think the first time I really got exposed to it was when I was in New Zealand. But then I've had experience of it when I worked in Ireland, too. So I'm not sure that's different depending on the country, but that's probably just the experiences that I've had, really. OK, so talk to me about your time in New Zealand. You worked with uh, New Zealand rugby for a time. Maybe explain what you were doing and any learnings any cultural differences similarities between here there and, and here yeah um well i went over first and i was just doing an internship with one of the um provincial rugby teams and then I, I got employed and stayed on there so i worked in women's rugby development and in strength conditioning so with their men's team and then with their women's side as well um doing strength conditioning and then i guess i was lucky enough when i was over there that i got an opportunity to work with um their under 18 girls sevens team in or sorry the New Zealand 18 girls sevens team and that was it was a great experience to be able to go and you know see what happens at the top level at an international level that was my first real exposure to it um and I got a couple of opportunities to work with the the Blackburns which is I suppose the female all blacks in a couple of their training camps which was great and I guess it was it probably was a little bit different when I first went over to what I had experienced in Ireland but that was because I hadn't really experienced elite sport in Ireland too much until I had gone to New Zealand and there definitely is you know different cultures between us here in Ireland and there I think in New Zealand well specifically in the area or the the province that I worked in it's quite rural and family is huge over there so the emphasis of you know that your family is the most important thing is is something that they're very proud of and something that they have in their culture and in their environments over there and and so I suppose we had a lot of like family days and and family events and and even though they were professional elite elite athletes that if ever something popped up around family then 
you dropped everything and people rallied around them and whatnot. And that was really brought into the culture. And it was the first time that I had really kind of been exposed to that, take away the whole elite side of it. So yeah, I think the way cultures and environments are set up between, regardless of what, what level it's at, between different uh, countries, they can, they can be different um, based on you know, what that region or what that country um, has embedded in their culture. I mean, there's different things in, in Ireland in the GA that, that I experienced here that I probably never experienced over in, in New Zealand. And that was just um, different cultures, I guess. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting um, that you talk about the, the family being so important. And it ties in with what you said earlier on about uh, knowing the player and, and your philosophy being about knowing the athlete and understanding them. And do you think but that that, that is something you say New Zealand do it very well in terms of in, in that rugby scenario, but is that something that we do well here in Ireland? Is it something we need to work on? And, and I don't mean the, the family being important. I mean that understanding and, and knowing our players and this, the, that sort of that culture around it. Yeah, it's, it's really important. It's something that we, I don't know, we do well, do we not do well? It's probably something we do do well in the sense that even from, when I started out coaching, it was something that I got drilled into me um, by other coaches and even through some of the modules that I did um, at college when I was learning about it. So whether we do it well or not, I can't really add, but it's something that I would live by um, and something that I think is is really important, particularly, you know, what I was talking about earlier, psychological um, skills. So a lot of what they found in the research is sometimes those psychological skills that that kids maybe develop a lot of times that's developed off the pitch and it can be developed in the home environment it can be developed in the school environment and it's based on maybe experiences that they've had so it could be for example a kid you know might have had a challenging time in school with another friend say it's a bully and hopefully not or maybe at home they have older brothers and sisters and they challenge them a lot and then that's what can give those mental strengths so if I don't know that, not that I need to know all the background of a player, but if I don't know maybe, you know, how, what their mental strength is like, or if I don't know um, maybe what they're, where they're coming from or what they enjoy about a sport or what maybe they don't enjoy, then it's harder to coach them. Whereas when I know a lot of that stuff or I know what they're about, then it's, it becomes easier to coach them as a group, especially if I'm developing a training session around you know particular games or drills that if I know what can make a player tick or how to push them or what ways to challenge them then I can set it up in a way that okay this group of players I can challenge this way and this group of players I can I can challenge in a different way so being able to meet those different traits within one session rather than just tailoring it the one way and maybe not not having every player satisfied by the end yeah it, again really practical example how I'm thinking team sport here now, but how do you get to know all those different traits? How do you get to know all those players? Um, and get it that it, it, a lot of the sport that you're involved in is at the elite end and, and you might have a lot of multiple training sessions and a lot of time with them. Whereas I'm trying to think of maybe the more grassroots guys with uh, maybe one or two training sessions a week and a match at the weekend or whatever it may be. So how do, any tips or how, how can people actually figure that out for for their own group of players yeah i suppose it, it's kind of different that like you know with a lot of the high level teams that i've worked with we do have a lot of that time with them and a lot of time off pitch with them so it's very easy to get to know them but like with with the likes of you know a club team um or an underage team so 
yes, we spend a lot of time on the pitch and we're trying to train, you know, players or, or train kids and trying to get them to, to improve and whatnot. But like you don't lose any value out of, of doing a session that's not on the pitch. Um, so taking them away from the pitch environment and, and doing a session where it's about team bonding or it's about spending that time together to get to know each other. I think that's a really valuable way and a really important way of, of seeing players' personalities outside of on a pitch. And when you understand that, then you can bring it in and you can, like we, with the, the hockey girls, we've kind of got to know a lot of um, what their personalities are and we can use that around playing to their strengths. So understanding how, you know, if it's, I don't know, a high stake game or, or whatever it is and, and we, we know what girls then will cope with that pressure or, or um, if it's a club team, it's being able to understand, you know, maybe if you're coming up to, I don't know, a high pressure time in the, in the campaign where um, you probably think players are going to get stressed or whatever it's it's maybe using your players that you know probably don't don't I don't know get stressed too often um, and use them to maybe help alleviate some of the environmental pressures that are happening so it's kind of being able to get to know your players off the pitch a bit and you're not going to you probably gain more out of losing a pitch session by taking them out of the environment and doing something else um, it'll work better for you in the long run. And then when you get to know them like that, you can spend a lot of time on the pitch um, just talking to players. Like if we're doing a pitch session, setting up um, a drill where they're doing a lot of repetitive skills and whatnot, but spending that time talking to players. So talking to them before a warm up, talking to them after um, a after session, asking them is life, you know, understanding like who's doing exams, who's not, who's going to what types of schools to know maybe what their social life is like around you know a lot of players for example if if they're in a very academic school versus players that maybe aren't so they probably have different pressures going on in the academic world um and understanding all those different areas about your players can help you to i suppose tailor your sessions to suit them yeah it's really insightful because uh, again it's a practical way that you can bring uh bring it to your training sessions to get that little bit more information about your players to get that little bit more insight into what makes them tick and all that information then helps you deal with it uh, particularly the resiliency and the adversity stuff as it comes down the line and no really really interesting orla we ask everyone that we have on the show three questions towards the end so first one's up for you now what does the term successful coach mean to you i think it really depends on the age group that you're working with. So if I'm, I think if I'm a coach that's working with really young players, so under 10s, right the way down. So five, six, seven, all the way up to 10. I think a lot of being a successful coach is making sure that they are enjoying their sport, making sure that they're developing the skills and, and they're learning and becoming confident players, but that ultimately they're enjoying it and they want to stick with it and stay playing. Um, then as you move into, you know, those ages in, in the teenage years where they're starting to compete and starting to get a get an idea for how the sport works and how they can be very good at that sport. Um, I think being successful is as a coach of those ages, getting them developmentally ready for the next stage. So if I if I'm a coach with under 15s or under 14s, under 15s, it's making sure that I get as much of those players as I can ready for that next stage. I think that's success. And then obviously when you get to the, the higher levels, so whether it's adult, whether it's elite, success means something completely different. So success at that stage then is, is where, um, you know, maybe you're winning competitions or you're 
your percentage rate is higher or, or whatever it is. Um, but I think when, you know, when you're working with those younger age groups, it's, it's being able to have them enjoy it. And then as you move up along, it obviously changes. Um, and not forgetting that when you're coaching them. So if it's, if it's that younger age group, so not forgetting that outside of the sport, you're able to coach their attitudes, you're able to coach their behaviors, you're able to coach them as people as well. So that can, you can get success out of that as well as, as, you know, scores at the end of a match. Yeah. And I like the way that you, you sort of, you break it down into maybe the, the different age groups that people are involved with or, or the level that they're involved with that success looks different at different levels. And I think that's, that's a, a good point of view. Um, the best book resource that you'd recommend to coaches. So we're talking books, podcasts, um, people you follow on social media, whatever you think, whatever your best ones are. God, well, because I've worked at Onion, I've read this book. I think it's it's a really good one. So Anya McNamara and Dave Collin have a, a practitioner's guide to talent development, which has loads of useful tips in it around, um, you know, coaching younger kids um, along a development pathway. So I think there's loads of, of good tips in that. Um, a book that I read recently was uh, Range by David Epstein, which I thought was really, really good as well. Again, goes into the idea of um, not having early specialization. So so a wide range of sampling of, of be it sports or it kind of the book doesn't just deal with sports. It goes into loads of different areas and how being open minded, you know, being able to have transferable skills so not just zoning in on one particular area but widening your range I guess to be able to influence other um, parts of your life and then probably another one that I've read that I really enjoyed was the Barcelona way by Damien Hughes I thought that was really good it's it kind of goes into the whole idea of the the culture that's set up at the Barcelona club and how it doesn't it's not necessarily reflective of just one team it's the entire environment and the system that they've set up in in a way to be able to develop those players to play you know in the way that that um club or the culture in that club uh deems that they should play so that they can be successful um so again it's that whole idea of a joint up approach to coaching class um and don't worry anyone listening we'll put links to those um to all those books and resources that Arla mentioned we'll put them up on the page um Arla, last question and you've been great with your time so thank you um so the, the question we usually ask is your top tips for a developing coach and we just sort of leave it open-ended, but I'd like to make it a little bit more specific uh, for you, if that's okay. Um, so what would your top tips for a developing coach uh, who's working with a team, potentially teenage years, um, to help them develop th- that team athletically? Okay, so maybe with the sort of the S&C slant on it, but what are your top tips for those who may not have the, the same level of expertise as yourself? Yeah, I think um, when you're looking at, say, the, the physical or the athletic end of it, it's, it's understanding that you don't need to know everything about it, but that little and often exposures are really good for that age group. So if it's a, you know, a group of teenagers, um, you don't necessarily have to have them in a gym. They don't have to be doing two big strength sessions a week. Okay, yes, they, they'll be great and, and they'll definitely help in their development, but even on the pitch, there's things that you can do. There's lots of body weight exercises and bringing them into a warm up. not forgetting about injury prevention so that you can create like really robust players, especially in the athletic development side of it. But again, bringing those consistently into a session, you know, consistently into a warm up, And even though they might get a bit repetitive and boring, not forgetting the importance of it. 
And that's just around the simple, you know, exposures to those, you know, um, injury prevention side of things. But then if you're looking at actually trying to develop them, you know, physically wise around fitness and whatnot, it's not being afraid to push the barriers. So I think a lot of times coaches and particularly coaches of females is they not that they don't understand, but they probably forget that you can still push them. You can still push them to be physically um, strong. You can still push them to be physically fast and fit so yes they're not going to be as fit as males or their male counterpart but um not forgetting that you know the females can still play at intensities and we have to be able to push them to that as well okay so little and often and don't be afraid to to, to push them on if they're ready for it um or look it's been great having you on really really fascinating insights uh you've a massively impressive cv for such a, a young coach and uh i really like the way that you you bring in the the snc into the psychological and into the coaching and, and sort of try and wrap them all up as one because i think that that's the way the game needs to go that's the way sport needs to go in terms of looking at it as a an overall picture rather than just the one loads of stuff for people to take out of today the way you tailor training based on the, the team's needs um, that the long-term goal, especially at the younger ages, has to be about player retention and that preparing them for the next stage should be your immediate focus. I think that's really, really useful and really practical for people listening to, to be able to implement themselves. Um, I love the way you talk about the coach-athlete relationship and, being, and knowing the player, and that's the big standout one for me and one that's a powerful message, I think, for anyone listening. So Orla, thanks a million.